Hi, welcome to season five. Uh, we're in episode two of a series that we're calling Open Mic. Uh, and what that means is, is that we've all written ideas down about questions that we're gonna ask each other, but we haven't shared them. So it's a, it's gonna be a bit of a surprise when, when I get to ask my question today. Anyway, I'm Mary Bazia and I have Tom Spitali and Sean Wellham. Hello. And, Hello. Uh, the difference with our podcast in the past is that you could only hear them um, and now we are video videoing them also. So you can find us on YouTube as well as our SoundCloud. So um, the question that I have is related to the fact that all companies are going through major disruption. And, you know, it's, of course, we're in the time of, of COVID-19 and, and every company is affected. Some have actually benefited and some are, are trying to figure out how to, to sort themselves out. But my question is, because this is such a significant thing for any company, should they have a chief disruption management officer? And if so, what does that look like in an organization? Uh, Sean, you go first. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was comparing what's been happening recently with the last major crisis we had, which doesn't really compare in magnitude, but it was the financial crisis, 2008. And if you remember then, a lot of our clients started to talk about uh, they wanted to get into scenario planning and, and seeing around corners was a phrase I heard a lot. We, we, we shouldn't have been surprised by this. We should have been better prepared for this. But that faded pretty quickly as, as, as good times returned and, and selective memory works its magic. So should they have a, a sort of business continuity discipline baked into their sort of executive level? I think absolutely they should. Everyone should always be saying, what if something goes wrong? And, and maybe even thinking what could go wrong. Although it would be interesting, even if they had that, whether anyone would have predicted a global pandemic of, uh, of this proportion. But nevertheless, um, I just don't think it should necessarily reside in one person, like a chief disruption officer. I think it should be a, a collective um, boardroom discipline, mainly because so many departments will have different be impacted differently by something like this. So, yeah, I think the concept's a, a good one, but I'm not sure. I'd, I'd, I certainly wouldn't want the weight of that on my job description solely. <laughs> anyway, I, I think I'd, I'd be I'd be happier in a group with that one. And I think that you could be the chief disruption officer. Yeah, I could always do that. That's that, that's something I'd sign up for tomorrow. <laughs> you, want, you just want to disrupt, but you don't want to have to manage it. No, no, that's someone else's. Because you know, you you follow up behind me. It's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a <the> broom. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but you're right. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of it. Um, uh, I love the, the the term chief disruption management officer, but I also share Sean's uh, thought that that it, it shouldn't be the responsibility of one person. Um, and let me, let me explain what I mean. First of all, as, as has been said about the COVID and the pandemic, um, it's accelerated trends. So one of the trends that we were seeing before COVID, when we were asking people to brainstorm competitors, what was happening, Mary? What did we see in the workshops, Sean? What, what was happening to those lists of competitors, especially the indirect competitors? Lists were growing. We were seeing where people would think they did a great job if they identified 20, 25 competitors. People before the pandemic were noting 60, 
70 competitors, and many of them were the types of competitors that they did not have to deal with in the past. Now that's disruption right there. So the pandemic is just going to accelerate that trend. What that means is companies are going to have to do an even better job and potentially in a weakened state caused by the, 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 the pandemic and its impact on their financials. They're gonna to have to do a better job of dealing with upstart competitors, competitors that are kind of hiving off their high margin activities, maybe leaving them with the commoditized activities of what, of what they do. All this calls out for some kind of, of discipline, some, time of some kind of regular routine where you try to get out in front of who's coming in and what you're gonna do about it, how you're gonna shore up your value proposition, how you're maybe gonna cannibalize yourself before somebody else does it. So I think that that's too important to be left to one person. I think it's the responsibility of the entire executive team, as Sean said. But I do think that somebody probably has got to have to lead the process. And I think, no surprise here, that it should be whoever's in charge of strategy or marketing. That's the person that should be looking over the horizon anyway at new types of competitors, keeping their finger on the pulse of customers and understanding your own company's evolving capabilities and bringing that to the group so that the group has a proper impetus and discipline to stay out in front of this. But other than that, I don't have a very strong opinion about it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I do think that the, um, the, the CMO or whoever's, you know, chief growth officer, whatever, they are responsible for keeping a pulse on the market and no one can predict COVID or any other major thing that's going to happen, but they are responsible for almost like, you know, when, when the boat starts to go down, they're the ones that get on the loudspeaker reminds everyone to get their life jackets on and, you know, and, and, to, and to muster to the right area. <laughs> and I, and I don't see that that I, I'm afraid that if there's too many people responsible, nobody's responsible. And maybe it is somebody that um, kind of has the characteristics. This is, this is truly uh, the type of person that is a little bit cynical in an organization, they, um, they're just wired for saying, uh-oh, if this happens, we need to do this. And so I do think that it needs to be somebody like that. So it may not be the, the, the chief marketing officer, but somebody that they appoint to be the head of that staff. And they're the ones that, that bark out the orders and have the plan in place ahead of time to say, this is how our company is going to respond. Yeah. Mary, let me, just, Sean, Sean, let me just throw something in here real quick. I'm sorry, because I got to say two things. One, Mary needs to trademark Chief Disruption Management Officer. You heard it here first. Mary came up with that term, and, and I think it's something that uh, it, it could, could, have, could have legs in the future. So the other thing is, is I, Mary, you bring up something that um, uh, I've, I've noticed in the past. You know, we're talking about who should be responsible I think that there is also a, the question of where can you kind of get some of the early warnings about um, the types of disruption, technological, and, and the types of competitors that come in? Millennials. The millennials in your company can be a great source of this because they're wired to think this way. And frankly, I, have, I hate to say it, but oftentimes they get shut down as being maybe naysayers or not kind of um, being enough of a cheerleader of the company's own value proposition. And that kind of really useful feedback in the right form, you know, um, it should be encouraged 
you know, how would you compete with us if you were one of our competitors should be a question that uh, is asked of, 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 of a broad group of people in the, in, in the company, but millennials, I think, are really well positioned to kind of think that way. Sorry, Sean, please go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, listening to what you guys were saying, there's two dimensions to this disruption, isn't there? And, and I cut my teeth in the finance and insurance world, and we always had a chief risk officer, mainly for portfolio risk. But nevertheless, these people were wired to to evaluate the upside and the downside and and to keep things in balance. And they would probably be ideal for being that slightly negative person, as in what could go wrong? What do we do if the lights go out? What is the actual plan? We can't just run around in circles. We've got to do something. So that sort of disruption management, you know, what if this happened is important. But Tom, what you were saying made me think that disruption is the great crater of opportunity, isn't it? You know, that, that, uh, that asteroid that saw off the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, it, it, it created an opportunity for the mammals to, to rise up, if you like. So we, we actually, in any destruction, there's, there's opportunity. And it's a different mindset. So maybe it needs to be, I'm going to compromise, not one person, not the entire board, maybe two people maybe someone who's saying like look this is the risks we're facing but someone's saying yeah but look at the opportunities as well this is where we need to alter our strategic direction to capture those future opportunities And that's not just in the way the market will shift it's also in the way that that competitors will fall you know the weakest competitors whether that's the weakest balance sheet or the weakest product line or whatever it is they are going to go first. If there is going to be a, a, a seismic shock through an industry, then the weakest go to the wall first. And, and that creates space opportunity just to move in with existing products. So there's multiple opportunities and you, you need to not be too much of a, of a Pollyanna and think everything's just great, but also not too much of a, uh, so negative that, that you're, you see your only job is minimizing the downside because there's an upside to maximize here as well. What's, which wow. tool of ours does that sound like? Nicole. Keep asking these questions, Tom. Like, like we've got I mean, the answers. Sorry, this sorry. is like the open mic. We're going like, well, I hope I don't say the wrong thing now. Go on, Tom. To what be, is that tool? I'm trying to be Socratic, and it's just not working. <laughs> <laughs> we're just scared. We're going to say, "Is it this?" And you go, "No, you idiot. It's this." No, oh, yeah. No, no, it's a trap. It's a trap. No, it's the ability to compete, which we often call the cold shower, and we we we, we get a lot of um, you know head nodding when we call it the cold shower. But you know, I think Sean, what you're talking about too, when you're talking about opportunity, is the other thing is, is as you're assessing yourself, you can't be too negative either, right? You, you know, um, taking that cold shower of reality points out your legitimate vulnerabilities. But you also, if you go too far and are too negative, you might miss the opportunity to leverage the strengths that you really do have. And I think that's kind of where this discussion has, has evolved to. Yeah. Maybe that's it, Tom. Maybe that any crisis, whether it's as huge and global as the one we're currently going through or, or the regular garden variety crisis that we've seen several of that come in, uh, in, in, the, in the business cycle, that, that, that maybe that's it. That, that what those crises do, they, they, they reveal your weaknesses, but they also accentuate your strengths. And if you're tuned into both of those and you're thinking, yeah, okay, so we've got to fix that because we're really vulnerable for this, but given that we've got this capability built into our business model, we can really double down on that now. And I think that's the, the, the sort of um, that balanced view you need to have in these crises. 
Yeah, I really like that yin and yang that you're recommending, Sean. So, you know, I'm going to modify my uh, thought here to call them chief um, disruption management officers and that there's two of them. There's the one that's the yin and there's the other one that's the yang. And when when there's any kind of a crisis, they're, they're forced to, to get together virtually or in person and say, okay, this is bad and this is what we're going to do about it so that you know, that you don't just get stuck in, um, in paralysis, but you actually, the other one goes, aha, and they come up with some opportunities for the company. So I, of, course now, of course, now we create the problem of, of we need a tiebreaker. So we need three. So we've got an odd number so we can always have a, a, a vote. So it's um, uh, <laughs> complicated. Well, we'll solve that in another one because <laughs> we have to move on to your open mic question that, that obviously Tom and I have no clue what you're going to ask us. So fire away well it was it was about the trends that we're seeing that are being revealed through this and i won't list the ones that are, that are on my mind but a lot of tom you mentioned in the previous uh, segment about how this crisis has accelerated certain trends and i was just thinking what trends are the most important that have that have been accelerated and which, which are going to last post this event you know if we're through this in 18 months you know hopefully we've got a vaccine or, or some other control mechanism, how will the landscape look that will be significantly different from what it would have looked without this? What, what are these trends that will sustain and what should our, our clients and business generally be looking out for in terms of, uh, of future trends? You want to go first, Mary? And I say it's, my, it's also my, uh, my prerogative, so I'm going to do that. Does that work? Tom? No, because in this case, I we're on top of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, dear viewers, let me just point out that goes to show you how we're learning as we go with this Zoom stuff, like you all are. But uh, whichever way I needed to point, it was meant to be towards Tom. So please accept my point. Okay, go ahead, Tom. You go first. Okay, good. I mean, I, gosh, I wish I had more time to think about this one. But the first thing that comes to mind is um, I think that this idea of working from home, remote uh, work, work is, um, I, I think it's the, uh, the cat's out of the bag, <laughs> you know, with, with that. I, what, what I mean by that is, is that um, many companies have resisted the trend, although it is clearly something that a lot of people would have liked to do, but even maybe were afraid to, to, to speak out. And I think what's happening, I hear this all the time, is that companies are finding that the um, expected productivity hit isn't materializing. People are realizing that in working uh, from home, they are becoming much more productive. The meetings are, and, and the interactions, you know, the interruptions aren't constant. And I think that it, it is a lifestyle that a lot of people like, and that, that it also a situation where you know uh, the the corporations are learning they can count on people to get their work done to be responsible and um, and, and and so I think that that one is probably here to stay there's too many benefits to it I mean there's the you know the lower uh, cost of, of real estate uh, for, for corporations there's the technology that that really supports it now, how does that how does that kind of map back to, to to marketing? I think for companies, you know, especially B2B marketers, it means that it's just going to be really difficult to um, to go to one place and access people. You know, 
It means that you're going to have to, you know, learn to, you know, to communicate via the methods that we're using right now, Zoom. It means that maybe a lot of, you know, the offerings that you have are going to have to be digitized and deliverable, you know, in a, in a different way. So I think that that's just one. I don't know if that's the most important one, but I just think that that one is, is, is not, um, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the, the point where people are working five days a week in an office, getting together in large groups for certain types of meetings. I think those are going to be really rare and really special. Those big, mm. those big group meetings. Mine, mine is a cousin. I, I like your question, Sean, and I actually had a couple of them immediately thought of, but building on Tom's, I think that telemedicine, uh, which is a version of working at home, um, is, uh, is here to stay. And I think it's right. It is the Uber of healthcare because there were so many issues before with the way we had to figure out how to get to the doctor and does the doctor speak my language um with telemedicine you know i had my first one in march with my dermatologist and um it was it was rough he was figuring it out he didn't have all my records but it was very convenient and so i think that there's going to be a lot of efficiencies that healthcare system starts to gain from that um you can have access to specialists more easily and if you know if you speak spanish um it's very easy to access the doctor that you know speaks whatever language you need to speak um so and just and if you live in a remote area you know you've never been able to easily get if you're if you're a cancer patient and you ha and there's certain things you can monitor yourself so you don't have to drive three hours to see your doctor I mean, this this is everything in the making of of creating a better healthcare system. I think that the crater that you're talking about, I think it's a good crater that will help us with healthcare and and technology advancing more quickly. Yeah, I think there's. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I think that that ripping out our, our acceptance that that working in office is nine to five, um, ten commutes a week is will be revealed for the sort of nonsense it was I, I maybe won't go to zero but it'll be much more flexible so i agree with that time i also think that remote technology coming into its four through this I, it's going to force us to get good at it and I, I totally get that and i was thinking something similar my sort of answering my own question was you know remote collaboration of which i guess telemedicine is is a little bit it's more consultative because you're talking to an expert and you're presenting with with symptoms or what have you but if you look at, um, you know, since we had Lotus Notes in the mid 90s and since we had <laughs> conference calls in the 90s where we could all get people on the phone and, and, and now we have video and shareable documents and that stuff has been evolving for 20 years and it's pretty good. There's no technological barrier for somebody collaborating with a partner in, in Miami if they're based in, in London. There's nothing to stop them. But of course, habits and convention do stop them. There's a gravitational effect. The further you are away from someone, the less influence you have. And, and I think that the big thing for me is that a lot of collaboration, whether it's collaborative learning, whether it's collaborative problem solving, whether it's the, the, the classic remote teams that we've dealt with, or sorry, diverse teams that we've dealt with for so many years, I think it's going to really light the afterburners on that one. That's going to create a, a really rich collaborative environment enabled by technology that we ignored before because we weren't comfortable with it. I think it's going to kick us into that, that next level and, and we'll be the better for it. Oh, cool. What a great question. It seems like we could do a whole series just on that, on your question. That's an idea. Um, 
So we hope that, that you that are watching or listening have uh, just kind of stirred some thoughts in your brain about um, what's happening with you and your business. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll come up with some ideas on what you might want to try different with your business. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.